So it all comes to head one night when my mother and her boyfriend, this happened to be on a Friday night, uh, were drinking heavily all day. And next thing I know, there's, they're fighting. Welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. You have to experience history in order to learn from it. Right. And, 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 and you know, that's life. You know, every episode, every step in your life comes down to that. You know, don't, I mean, and I, I don't find, and my, my, so my mother abandoned me when I was eight, then I came here, and then she abandoned me again when I was 17. So when I was 17, one of the, you know, one, one of the things that I always wanted to do um, that was instilled in me by the family that took me in for those two and a half years in Puerto Rico was that I needed to go to school. I needed to graduate. And for me, I needed to go to school. I needed to graduate. I needed to go to college. What drove me through my entire life since I was 12 and, and until I graduated college, that was it. The clutter around it didn't really affect the fact that all I wanted to do is graduate high school. That was my main purpose in life. When I came here, all I wanted to do is graduate high school. And that kept me centered because in order to graduate high school, you got to do a certain things, right? You got to attend, you got to do homework, right? So it's not like you can just hang around with the kids and be part of the kids because you want to be accepted. No, I wasn't accepted by the kids initially because I wanted to learn English. You know, I came here with no English, but in order for me to do normal, I needed to learn English. So guess what? I took books in Spanish and tried to translate them in English. I took English books, translated in Spanish. I started watching TV. Why? Because I needed to learn how people spoke. You know, so Three's Company and um, uh, the Don and Marie show, uh, or I grew up with it. Why? Because I needed to watch it to see how people spoke. You know, people didn't realize that. I said, you know, you can learn a lot by just watching people speak, right? Um, I got put into a bilingual program here in, in, in when I came, and I, I understood why, but I hated it. Uh, and the reason I hated it is because I soon realized that all the regular kids will look at us differently. Well, you're the Spanish kids. We go to lunch and breakfast together. We go to recess together. We hang out together. So, of course, they're going to look at you as being different. And I didn't want that. I wanted to be in regular classes. I wanted to do regular work. And thankfully, through hard work and the help from my teacher, one of my teachers, Mrs. Cleves, in fifth grade, um, I managed to get a class in English, math. And the, the interesting thing is that I didn't know any English per se, in all honesty, but I knew one plus one always equal two. So I managed to go to class. I managed to take the tests and the quizzes and stuff like that. And I managed to pass. Um, but soon after that, my mother decided to move to Utica, New York. And um, that was a challenge because I left my entire life together that I in, in Lumminster, I, I had just gotten used to everything. I was doing good. I had just been promoted to the seventh 
grade. I just started a brand new school. And this school just basically said, you're good enough. You're going to have to go and do regular classes. And, you know, one of the challenges, cultural challenges that kids have when they come here is the language, right? If you don't know the language, you can't be in a regular class. And they put you in the bilingual program. For me, the bilingual program had just started in the 70s. So the system was still trying to figure it out. Is that the uh, ESL, the English as a second language class? Or is that uh, No, else? in Massachusetts, they call it bilingual. They put any kid in there whose, ki whose parents think that they should learn either English or Spanish so they can communicate at home. Um, for me, it was just, I mean, and I don't know where I got this from, but as I'm sitting there, I realized that I didn't belong there because I needed to get to high school. And I needed to graduate high school as a normal kid so I could go to college. If I'm going to sit here in this group um, and be isolated from everybody else, then I'm never going to catch up. So by the time, you know, I spend a semester uh, of fifth grade, a semester of sixth grade, and then I got pushed to seventh grade. Uh, so because I was behind. I mean, I didn't start school till I was nine in Puerto Rico. So, you know, usually you go in sixth grade for kindergarten and you walk yourself up. I was put in second grade in Puerto Rico, but then the teachers after a month realized that I didn't know how to write. And no concept. Was wrong. So they put me in first grade in, in first grade. So, you know, in first grade, the interesting thing was that I was the, the biggest kid, the oldest kid. Right. That didn't speak. They, they couldn't write. Anything. So those kids became my bullies because they're making fun of the big kid. How can you not know how to write? Yes. And that didn't bother me because at the end of the day, again, like I said, the only thing that really mattered was me. I just needed to figure out how to learn how to write as quick as possible so I could go back to second grade. So I did go to second grade and I skipped third and I went to fourth grade. Um, but even here, it was the same thing. If I stay in this bilingual program that isolates me from everybody else, I can't complain that people look at me as being different because all the Spanish kids hang together. We went to lunch before everybody else, which I thought it was really stupid, right? We went to lunch with everybody else. We went to Reese's before everybody else. We did everything together. Not, you know, I don't think that the system had realized at the time that you know, we're, we're creating this problem of kids being isolated, right, and being bullied because we're acting different. We're making them act different. And, you know, maybe that was not the intent, but, you know, that's what they delivered. I just realized that I didn't belong in that and I didn't want to be there because I needed to go to high school. It is just my goal. And regardless of my issues at home, because my mother was an alcoholic, uh, you know, Thursday, Fridays and Saturdays, there was always fights and all kinds of things happening in my house. I never let that bother me as long as I could go to school. And as long as I could be normal. And normal to me was just being part of what everybody else does. I didn't have to be the top kid in, in the class, which I wasn't in seventh, eighth grade. I mean, I, I went through English classes and I barely made it through. But I accomplished a lot. Mm -hmm. I made it based on my abilities. I made it because I wanted to do it. I didn't get A's, but I didn't get F's. 
So I was a C student and I was very proud of it because I was doing it on my own. And I got to high school. And um, but before that, my mother decided to move to Utica, New York with one of her old boyfriends. They used to beat the crap out of us when we were in Puerto Rico. And um, that was a very tough time. And um, oh, you moved with her or she left you? She left me a little after this. So when I was a junior in high school, my mother decided that uh, she needed, she wanted to leave and go back to Puerto Rico. And she did. She told us she was going to leave for a couple of weeks. My sister called her and she said, I'm not coming back. And, my, and I still remember my sister. My sister died of COVID uh, about three years ago. Um, she was my only biological sister. I grew up with 11 kids, uh, but we never... You know, we, my mother had 11 kids, but we never had a dinner together. All of you? All of us in a single household. We never lived together. But I know of 11 kids that are my step-siblings. Uh, yeah. So but, your sister came with you at the same time when you left at 12? No, you my, no, my, no, no. My sister wasn't. My sister was given away. Uh, so my sister was two years older than me. So I was given away when I was seven and a half, eight. At the same time, she was given away to some strangers because my mother had decided to move to the United States and apparently she didn't have the money to bring us. So instead of leaving us with family, she left us with strangers. Um, it's in the book. It's interesting because um, it was the breakfast challenge that I run into. Um, the couple that I was with used to feed me the same thing every single morning. And as a young kid, I, you know, you just didn't like something. I didn't like oatmeal, not oatmeal, um, cream of wheat. I just don't like it. And um, one morning there was a standoff for like two hours. And then I just sat there and she goes, you're not leaving that table until you eat it. I never did. I actually waited until she wasn't looking and I ran away. All because I didn't want to have breakfast. But it wasn't breakfast. It was the fact that I was missing my mother. I was missing my sister. I was living in an environment that I didn't grow up in. Strangers, they weren't really affectionate. You know, I, I think they took me in because they, they didn't have any kids. They had a farm, so I could fetch water and do chores around, that kind of stuff. But the standoff that morning was a breaking point for me, and I ran away into the woods. Mm. Uh, yep. It's, you know, I describe it as it seems like every time that I run into issues in my younger days, I always run into the woods. When I forgot how to pee, I run into the woods. Um, you know, when I run away, I run into the woods. I don't like the darkness until uh, this day. It freaks me out. Right. In, in, in Puerto Rico, uh, when you grow up in the environment I grew up, as soon as the sun goes down, it gets, it gets really dark. And um, there's all kinds of noises that go on in the woods that you're not used to because at eight years old you really are not supposed to be in the woods by yourself and i was hungry i was starving i was uh, cold um and uh, everybody's looking for me and i hear somebody calling me and i see a light so i went to the light and this was darkness around eight or nine o'clock at night and um, my sister was calling me my older sister not the sister that my mother uh, abandoned. Um, and I I managed to get out, thankfully, because I was freezing. 
I was cold. Um, I left without a shirt. So I ran away without a shirt because you're, you know, you're a kid. You're hanging out with pants on and no shoes. Um, and um, so that was a very interesting uh, period. Um, I, I cover it in my book because I, right, right. the stories in that book is all about resilience. It's all about, you know, you, as I call it, um, making sure that you don't, you don't become overwhelmed about all the noise around you because all that noise doesn't make who you are. And if you, if you allow it to overcome you, then you kind of lose, right, the, the game of life. Right. Yes. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering, uh, Aramis, as you got older in life, so you've, you made it through high school, obviously made it through college, like, you know, how did things start coming together with you being able to provide for yourself and some stability? Did you ever get any therapeutic support to kind of help you overcome some of the trauma um, that, to, uh, when um, you were younger? I never been to um, a therapist. Um, so as I, so my mother left me when I was 17, I, I, I was saving money. I had a savings account, probably like $3,000, $3,500. I had saved from summer jobs and doing things around because I needed money for college. I knew that. Right. So since I was a freshman, I'm saving money for college. Um, and that, you know, she, she called, she said she wasn't coming back and then I'm I'm trying to figure out as a 17 year old kid. I said I can do this. I can I can I can stay here. Um, I have money. I can stay here. So I'm putting plans together to try to figure out how to get through my senior year in high school. And then I realized that my mother was my money was gone. And then my sister my sister had said, "Well, you can't stay here because we're leaving. So you need to find a place to live." And um, that was a very tough time in my life. And, 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 and you know, my, as, as I call it in my book, more than my mother abandoned me, more than, you know, coming close to death, the period in my life that really affected me emotionally the most, that I lost self-control, was the time that I realized that I was going to be homeless. And even though I thought that I had figured it out, um, I was I was on my own. Your money was gone. Like what? Your somebody took it. What happened? My mother took it. Yeah, my mother. That's how she ended up in Puerto Rico. Um, which I didn't know, but you know, you learned that later on. So, going back to your point, I found myself lost that time. And then, one of the things that I have done was I had continued playing sports, mainly soccer, because I didn't have to be tall to play soccer. I had a strong leg, so I could kick the ball. So people liked me and their team. So I, you know, I did the summer leagues, and I was going to high school. I made, I made this the high school team, and I made friends. And in the book, it's the Jordans coming to the Jordans. So the Jordans was a family that I started playing soccer with, who all the son knew my situation with my mother leaving, and he had asked me to come. For Thanksgiving in 1983. And um, I went to Thanksgiving and at the end of the dinner, everybody gets out, everybody leaves except me and the two parents. 
And I'm like, uh oh, what did I do wrong? Right. And I thought I had done something wrong. So my mother today says to me, We know your situation and we have something to propose to you. We would like you to come live with us. You'd be like one of the other kids. There are rules in the house, but we'll help you get through high school. And then we'll help you figure out how to get to college. So that's how I made it to college. I found another family or another angel, as I call them in my book, that was willing to lend a hand. And for me, you know, I don't judge people. Um, you know, if you help me and you look honest, I take your help, right? Um, and they offer me what I consider to be a change in my life because I'm an older kid now, right? I'm almost 18 years old. So basically an adult, I've gone through a lot of stuff. So I'm not like somebody that hasn't ex had any experiences in life, right? Um, and I realized that without them, I don't know what I would be because I would have been homeless. Um, so I managed to get through high school. I managed to go through college. Um, I graduated college. I came to my house with my with the Jordans one night. We're playing Scrabble. My mother and I used to play Scrabble together. We're having a glass of wine. And she says to me, have you ever thought of carrying our name? I was just about to ask, now that you mentioned that, Wow. And so I now you've been with them for what, four or five years? I had, well, I, I lived with them really for about a year and a half through high school, right? Because then I went to live in college and I would come, you know, I had a place to come, right? I had a place to come for the holidays. I had a place to come for Thanksgiving, Easter, right? The summers, if I wanted to come up, I had a place to stay. They never looked at me as a stranger. They're always just, folded me into the family. Um, but when she asked me that, it was interesting because I had thought about it a lot, but I never brought it up. And I, I was 20, 23. And the reason I didn't bring it up is because I was afraid that they would say no and that would change the dynamics, right? Of being rejected. So that's what I told her. I said, I have thought about her a lot, but I just never thought that you would want me to. To make a long story short, I got adopted when I was 23 years old, legally. And the funny thing is that when you go through an adoption, right, you got to go in front of a judge. And as you go in front of the judge, you know, you don't do it in public. You go into his chambers and the judge says to us, so this is a little unusual circumstance. Because usually what I do is I have the child or the baby sit on my lap so that we can take pictures. And without hesitation, I just went and sat on his lap. So, yeah, so that, you know, that was a happy ending story because um, as being a puppy that everybody loved when you're a puppy and because you're cute and all that, but nobody really wanted to keep you for a long period of time. because That's really what my life is all about. Um, I managed to find this wonderful family that till today are my adopted parents.
it's just beautiful. You're God sent group of people, author, a friend. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, part of the book talks about these guiding angels, right? Because, you know, throughout my life, you know, my oldest sister was always someone that I relied on when my mother and her boyfriends were fighting and, you know, it looked like somebody was going to getting killed. As a young kid, you're you, you very afraid, right? But we found solace in each other, whether we went and, and hid underneath the bed or we went outside and found the woods to hide from, uh, we always had each other. And then as I get older, there's always a guiding angel, whether it was the doctors and nurses at that hospital, the couple that took me in for two and a half years, uh, my fifth grade teacher, um, Jeannie, who still till today is a really good friend. And, you know, in, in the book, we talk about how at one point, so, so here's this, just part of the story, and this is all related to her, um, is that she was a single mom, Jean, my fifth grade teacher, but we had a connection because she helped me. She helped me get to regular school. She helped me to learn English, et cetera, et cetera. And she was very angry that I had been just appended and taken to Utica, New York. And I used to call her every night because I was afraid. Utica, New York is not Massachusetts. Um, the school that I was there, it was totally different. Um, to me, it was culture shock. There was no study and there was no teaching. It was just chaotic, a chaotic environment. And I never been exposed to that. I've always had a school that's small enough that, you know, the teachers teach and the teachers are in control. But when I went to Utica, New York, there was nothing. So I refused to go to school. So it all comes to head one night when my mother and her boyfriend, this happened to be on a Friday night, uh, were drinking heavily all day. And next thing I know, there's, they're fighting. And as they're fighting, I went into my room and called Jeannie and I said, I'm really scared. I think my mother's getting killed. I don't know what to do. And she said, call the police. But I was so so afraid and I don't even know if I did call. But the police did show up later on. So I don't know if it was me or just the neighbors. But anyway, so Jeannie, as we hung out together, she got together with her friend and drove from Lummis to Massachusetts to Utica, New York, which is about six hours, seven hours, to pick me up. Mm -hmm. She knocked on the door. My mother opened the door and said, hi, I'm Jeannie Aramis' teacher, and I'm here to pick him up. And my mother said, sure. Wow. So Jeannie said, pack whatever you got and let's go. Um, so... You know, that's another individual in my life that offered a hand and I took it and she's been so, um, such an instrumental part of my life. Uh, we lost touch when I went to college, but after I came to college and I opened up a, a business and she saw me and I was at one of my locations one day and uh, she was there with her granddaughter and I, I wasn't really paying attention. Um and she said to me, you don't remember me. And that's when I stopped, right? And actually looked at her and that was it. That was uh, tears and hugs and all that kind of stuff. And we 
acted ever since. And, you know, today she um, she's like my son's grandmother. Um, my son stayed with them for the summer because he didn't want to come to South Carolina and leave over his friends. Um, I'm going up in two weeks for parents weekend. She's coming with me. Right. You know, there are people in your life that make a difference, but they only make a difference if you allow them. Mm -hmm. Right. We cannot be too proud. We should not be too judgmental. Right. Uh, because if it's going to be a negative, it's just going to be a negative anyway. Right. Uh, you can't stop the downs in your life. You can always protect yourself by making sure that you have a good foundation, that you know who you are and what you want to accomplish, whether that comes to fruition or not. I mean, I wanted to go to college to be uh, an attorney. I made it to college. I just didn't become an attorney. But I was a different person by the time I got out of college, right, um, than when I was nine, when I decided to be an attorney. I wanted to be an attorney when I was nine years old when I first met that couple that took me in. Right. Wow. So show us a copy of the book, Aramis. Yeah, show yeah. us a copy of the book so folks can get a snapshot of it and um, tell us how folks can go out and find it. Where is it? Yeah. It's a faded a little bit in because I think you're using a background there. Right there. There we go. Searching for my PB and J sandwich. Dream. American dream. My American dream by yeah. Aramis Jordan. And where it's, can people find your book, Aramis? It's on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and put in the title, it comes up. It's available on as an ebook. It's also available in a, a paperback. And um it's, you know, I tell people, they said, you might want to take some uh, Kleenex because it is a tough, it's a tough read. It's a good read, um, but it does, you know, the, the, the experiences that I disclose here are sometimes very difficult to, to understand how someone can go through all this and still come out of a normal person. Or yeah. at least I consider it to myself. Right. Well, obviously you've had a lot of um, guiding angels it sounds like your journey has been like one of just God watching out, out for you for some reason. And my goodness. Well, we're happy to have had you here on the podcast. Thank you well, for thank sharing you. your story. If people want to connect with you outside of the book, how do they reach you, Aramis? Oh, they can reach out to me at, um, send me an email at Aramis, A-R-A-M-I-S, 274 at gmail.com. Um, I have my consulting business online, which I try to help all the people who are looking to open up a business to understand business. So they can reach out to me at ajordan at franvice.com. Um, and, you know, just go to Facebook. You can find me on Facebook um, and we can chat. I do a lot of mentoring um, to other, you know, people who are Similar to my situation in the past, and I'm trying to give them a little um, hope, right? That, you know, experiences don't make who you are. Your environment doesn't make who you are. What makes who you are is you. You can, always, you can control everything in your life, whether it's good or bad, and you can make it through anything. 
as long as you believe in yourself. Very good. Well, thank you so much for that message. I have no doubt people will be intrigued by your story. And I hope they will go check out your book and find it on Amazon and connect with you if they want to collaborate in any way. Yes, I'd love to hear people's um, uh, take on the book. Um, Very good. Because my wife used to tell me is that people are going to love your book. I said, nobody cares about my opinions. <laughs> I mean, why would you want to know me? Like, I'm no special person. There's millions of people who go through similar things or worse things. Right. Then I'm not special. I'm just me. Right. But, you know, sometimes our journeys inspire people to keep going for another day when they've, when, you know, going through it can be difficult at times and and hearing somebody else's walk and to say, wow, he went through that and he got, he's here today or he's accomplished all of this, then I can do the same too. And it, it inspires people. So that's, that's why we're Yeah. That's what I'm hoping because at the end of the day, that's really how I live my life. Right. I, I fed myself positive thoughts, right. You can do this. You know, right? Being homeless, you know what? This is not you. You can make, you can get through this. So I think that taking somebody else's perspective and saying, if they can do it, you can too, it's a good attitude to have because at the end of the day, we're no different than anybody else. We're just humans. And um, as Billy Joe, one of my favorite singers says, we're only humans. We're supposed to make mistakes. Right. And figuring this out and figuring this out. Well, that is a great bookend. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your book with us and sharing so authentically about your story. Friends, as always, please subscribe, comment and share if you enjoyed this interview. If you're passionate about telling immigrant stories, our team is looking for help. If you're willing to help with podcast production, social media or Patreon management, please reach out to us. You can also donate on our Patreon if it's easier for you. All the links are in the description below. Thank you. We thank our listeners around the world and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe and share with your friends, family and circle of influence.